Welcome to the Marshall Pro Podcast in your Week in IndyCar listener Q&A episode. It is 7.36 p.m. on a beautiful Monday evening here in the San Francisco Bay Area. Wind is howling as it's been all day long, but that's not a bad thing. Going to jump into your questions in just a moment. Wanted to share a couple of quick things before we do indeed get rolling in this show brought to us by you, thanks to your questions, by the Justice Brothers, our awesome friends at the Justice Brothers, the mighty fine folks at Cooper Tires who make the road to Indy possible, and yes, indeed, TorontoMotorsports.com, the wacky Canadians who bring a lot of fun to our life. Wanted to mention a couple of Detroit-related things, one Detroit-related thing with this coming up this weekend. Our good pal John Wojnar tells us, since he is a Michigan native, we actually have a number of Michigan natives who listen to the show, that if you're still fancying attending and buying some tickets, if you go to the uh, Detroit Grand Prix website and put in the code VOLUNTEER, you get 15% off. So... Uh, I'm just sharing this because Wojnar really wants you to come out since the paddock's going to be open. Yes, we're kind of sort of getting back to normal things in motor racing, being around one another, getting close to cars, close to those drivers. So, indeed, if you're heading to Detroit for IndyCar, IMSA, and all the other fun there, this doubleheader weekend, doubleheader in terms of two headlining series plus two IndyCar races, Volunteer, apparently, is the magic little code to use when checking out, and you get to save a little bit of money. So that's our public service announcement for the episode. Uh, Mentioning John Wojnar and Matt Philpott and Ryan Terpstra, some of our Michigan listeners, they're members of something we they refer to as the Prue Day. It's a a group of, of really funny listeners. And there's a growing number of those listeners. And they do all kinds of stuff. I don't fully understand how they communicate. I truly don't. I don't know what platform they use to interconnect with one another. Uh, I'm not a member of the group. Don't want to be. It's not for me. It's uh, for them and for y'all. But a couple of our Prude members have said, you know what? In light of, uh, well, this is... Mental Health Month to start, but in light of some of the stuff that I spoke about recently, about a friend of the show, uh, Tom Schreier, who committed suicide a week ago today, uh, just said, hey, you know what? Uh, We know people are struggling. I don't know if I want to say more than ever, but we know that there's a lot of folks just having a hard time. And if you are one of them, a listener, and want an instant group of friends and crazy, wacky people who are also truly sweet, like really legitimately caring, loving, giving folks. I say that from experience, having received and receiving continual thoughtfulness and care and kindness from the members of this group. If you're in a place where you could use some new instant friends, where you all have at least one great starting point, of something to bond around, that being IndyCar. Not so much my fat butt and crazy self, but a couple of the members of the Prude have said, hey, 
we know that sometimes things can get a little bit dark, a little bit heavy, feel isolated maybe. Well, guess what? We are truly here to solve all of that and come play and have fun with us. So if you'd like to join the group, there's no membership fee. Uh, there's no, uh, they don't jump you in or anything. Uh, it's just, I really, again, I don't know exactly how you join, but I do know that if you reach out to me on social media, uh, not hard to find on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram, uh, whether it's just publicly or direct message, or if you want to email me, marshall at marshallpruitt.com, I'll put you in contact with Wojnar, Philpot, uh, Terpstra, Morell, and this and that, Snyder, whomever. There's lots of members waiting to bring some fun and light and community to you. And I just love the, I love the inspiration behind that of them saying, come on, come on, come on. No, no, no. Come be with us. Uh, we'll make fun of that idiot Pruitt and have a blast, uh, just in this growing, uh, private listener group. So that's the other main thing there related to it. Uh, many of you, many, many of you after my somewhat long and, uh, raw open to last week's show in light of, uh, the news with Tom have sent direct messages, texts, and otherwise saying, hey, if you need a shoulder, you need an ear, reach out. I'm here. Whenever, whatever, uh, time and time and time and time again. It's really impressive to see how kind folks are. And just want to say thank you to everyone, whether it's members of the Prude, of which there were many who reached out, but uh, good friends who listen, old friends who listen, new friends who listen. A lot of folks reached out just on a personal front, hashtag me personally, say, hey, Pruitt, if you need some help, you ever need, you ever need, uh, I'm here for you. So thank you for that. I'm very fortunate to seek my own counsel. Uh, My wife, number of old friends as well. It's awesome to know that I have an even wider pool of folks uh, ready and waiting to help if and when such a need arises. So that's why I love the note about uh, come join the Prude because it's all kind of sitting there and waiting. Uh, thanks again to all of you. I really do enjoy doing this each week. It's uh, it's a fun start to the week or end of the first day of the week usually. And just as a, a little sidebar here, we'll get some music bed coming in. Who do I have with me as my co-pilots? Well, they're both on the right. They are sleeping cheek to cheek. Cutest thing ever. They were beating each other up earlier. That would be uh, Rosie and Rocky, our two cats. So, yep, got my uh, got my co-pilots here. So let's get rolling with your questions. Who are we going to start with? We've got a bunch of first-time question submitters, by the way. That has me really happy. Uh, we're going to open with Jameen Tuttle. And it's a statement, kind of sort of statement. Uh, it says, I love how close-knit the IndyCar community is. I feel this sets us apart as fans, and I love the conversations and unique people and stories we see and hear at the track. Also mentions continued prayers for your family and those in this crazy podcast family that are going through health issues, maybe just life issues. Jamine goes on to say, the sport is extra special because of the people who love it, from officials, teams, fans, and even podcast hosts. I'll push back on that one. Says, uh, looking forward to two races this weekend. Amen. 
Jameen. And that's, I always feel bad when I keep saying how great it is and how lucky we are to have things the way they are in IndyCar. Because as someone who's grown up and been involved in a lot of different racing series, I cover two or three as well these days. There's something different and special here that I don't find elsewhere. And I wish I could find it everywhere. That would mean every sport was amazing and everyone was quadruple happy. But yeah, it's just well spotted, Jameen, that, hey, there is something special here. And yes, of course, we know where to go. Uh, at the bottom of articles, many of them written by your host with some of the most miserable people in the world who wake up and just want nothing more than to share whatever darkness they have inside themselves with the world. Cool, great, do your thing. I truly don't read it anymore. Uh, I no longer give myself little grace periods to peek here. Nope, done. Be dark, be angry, be smarter than everybody. Be whatever you want. Cool, you live in your little world. Don't care at all. Too many of us who love this and are wanting to share this and make it even better and more loved with more people. So thanks for the opening note here, Jameen. Thanks to our pal Jim Kaiser who puts the questions together. And there's an art to it. There's a flow to it. And I appreciate Jim's little funkiness. Going to move in here to a couple of Detroit questions. Tend to open the show with a, a bigger theme and dwell on that for just a little bit before rocking to others. Daniel Ingleton. How you doing, Daniel? This is MP with an additional week between the Indy 500 and Detroit this year. What would the teams use the extra time to do to the cars that couldn't be completed normally? Or would it just be extended rest and relaxation for the teams? Well, for some, there was a little test a couple days after the 500 at Road America. So some of the teams didn't get a whole lot of rest. But, uh, you know, yeah, uh, this would be a chance to take a little bit of a break. We do have this back-to-back dynamic. And it's not a bad thing at all. Go from Detroit, pop over to road america then there's a little bit of a a gap there uh before we get going again at mid ohio on fourth of july so more than anything daniel i would say where possible teams definitely wanted to give their folks a little bit of rest knowing that it was a fairly furious push into the month of may realize the season started the middle of april but still just a busy push and bit of a grind got through it what's interesting here daniel is the approach taken by teams not everybody does the same thing i would say in in more instances than not you would have teams saying hey memorial day certainly take that off go sleep go party go do whatever let's get back though on tuesday Let's try and get back here on Tuesday. And I know we're only talking a day's break, but let's try and get back here and start pushing on our prep for Detroit. So that way we can hopefully get you a longer break uh, going into the weekend uh, between the 500 and Detroit. So at least for what 
uh, I've heard is the the prevailing mindset with many, but not necessarily all teams. It's let's not let our hair down right away. Let's still, you know, stay sharp, come in, try and knock things out as quickly as we can, give ourselves a longer full weekend break, maybe even extend that a little bit longer if possible. Uh, and that's the approach I think most end up doing. Uh, Steve Grinstead. MP Hope all is well on the home front. Thanks, Steve. It's been uh, uh, separate from losing Tom. It's been a it's been a challenging three, four, five days. Uh, Mrs. Pruitt's been her usual fighting like mad and, and dealing with uh, not all kinds of fun stuff in her usual amazing way. Uh, it says, would it be cheaper for a team to have two body kits for those doing sponsorship changes between races one and two? So I know the parts are expensive, but is it worth having a well-rested crew? Maybe totally off here, but I think for those that are doing the livery change between race one and race two, it's often specialists that come in to do the majority of that. So I think there's that. Keep in mind that the tub itself uh, is usually also something that needs to get done up. So... Uh, it's not just a case of bolt-on, bolt-off body work that uh, could or would be done. Although, again, that's not a bad idea at all. But, yeah, I, I think this has been going on enough for long enough to where it's no longer the crazy, crazy time sink it might have been early on while folks were getting this figured out. Uh, let's go to H. Miller Motorsports, uh, who says... How do you think Elio's win a week ago might affect ratings for this week? Higher or equal ratings to previous runnings of the duels in Detroit? I believe these are both NBC races, network races compared to cable on NBCSN. I mean, I'm thinking they will be good. I Do I think we're going to get a bump from folks tuning in on Saturday thinking they're going to have the Indy 500 winner there? Uh, no, I think that would be the thing that diehard fans do. Diehard fans would know he's not going to be there. So I don't think it's going to be so much that if we have a bump. And I can't tell you if we will. I'd love to say yes or no and have it be correct. Probably know me by now. My predictions are always the opposite. If you want someone to win, tell me to pick them as a loser and vice versa. But if there's anything I would say that is a coming out of Indianapolis positive in terms of TV, it would hopefully be some new fans who might have tuned in and said, hey, that was actually really cool. That was a big high-energy finish. Um, I hopefully want to now watch a second race. And hopefully Saturday's race is compelling enough to have whatever number of those folks. And I don't know what that number is. Is it 50 people? Is it five is it thousands? I don't know. But hopefully Detroit offers great competition or high drama or both. And it ends up being a continuation of Indy. The thing we obviously hope for is that they aren't stinkers. So, yes. Don't stink, Belle Isle. Uh, let's see. Jeremiah Morell, how you doing? We've already name-checked you once. Is there a better weekend ticket value than a Detroit doubleheader? That is also an IMSA weekend. says, I hope the people of Detroit know they're getting a heck of a deal. Even hearing rumors that 
John Wojnar is a track official this weekend. I think he's the grand marshal. Uh, I think he is temporary honorary king of Belle Isle, potentially. Um, I think he's all kinds of things. Uh, well-dressed man about town as well. Yes. So, uh, yeah, the racing's okay. Show up to see Michigan's John Wojnar. That's that's the real billing that should be going on here. Yeah, it is. It's a great event. The only downside, Jeremiah, is it is a, air quote, street race. And often full travel to all the corners to see everything, not always possible. I love street courses, so don't get me wrong. I'm not bagging on Detroit. Uh, just love them all. Just saying if there's a double header weekend where we have IMSA and IndyCar on a road course, or like back in the day when we used to have the American Le Mans series and IndyCar, say at a mid Ohio, it's crazy, just insane. The amount of people that would show up, the amount of awesomeness in the racing, all those things. Uh, we've got a couple of uh, team ups here. I don't know if you can hear the wind blowing, but wow. Uh, we've got a couple of team-ups this year between IMSA and IndyCar. Uh, we've got Long Beach coming up a little bit later in the year. So uh, it is awesome. Come and see it. Come enjoy it. And as I always recommend, for street courses, you might buy a ticket that has you in a grandstand somewhere, but come there with a traveling spirit. Have a backpack or whatever you're allowed to bring in. Um, some little fold-out seat or who knows what, but... Give yourself the ability to not be stuck in one vantage point. Go and wander. And don't be afraid to have security people or track workers or whatever say, hey, yes, actually, sorry, no, he can't go there. Like, go, go find out. You know, don't don't be mean, break rules or otherwise, but just don't be afraid to go and explore and see how far you can go and find new angles because that's it's one of the things you need to do on street courses so you can appreciate the street courses don't always get to see all the coolest stuff the most interesting sections where the cars and drivers do amazing things so yeah just uh have a wandering spirit and i think you will be rewarded michael steenblick thanks for sending this uh got a couple of couple of these not sure if we're going to get to all them in the show but says, hey, MP, continued prayers for you and your wife. Thanks for sharing your story last week. says, my father took his life when I was 12 years old, and I know full well about the struggles with depression as they run deep in my family. says, if anyone feels down, scared, or helpless, please reach out to anyone. Amen to that, Michael. He says, there are people who can help, and you are not alone. Amen once more. He says, my question for you is, who are your top three to four drivers at Detroit that recover big time from a horrible May? Well, uh, where should we go here? Uh, I think the two most obvious candidates, Mike, would be Ryan Hunter, Ray, and Graham Rahal. Both folks who, while I don't think I'm correct, it feels like they both won their last races there. And it's been a little while for both. So let's say they get rebounds recoveries graham finishing 32nd yeah that wasn't great uh yeah so 
could Graham win this weekend? It certainly flashed through my mind as uh, more than a possibility. Hunter A, 22nd at Indy, uh, not his fault. So, yeah, those two, certainly. Uh, I think those are two who need to win and just to get back in the groove and and feel like themselves. That goes back a couple years, though, where the two of them haven't had the most awesome of finishes that they want uh, in general, more championship-minded. The guy who doesn't feel like himself this year more than anybody, I'd say who will most likely use Detroit to rebound and put the month of May behind him, uh, William Power, uh, P30, Indianapolis. Holy poop, right? I mean, come on. Of of everybody here, if there's a person who's going to go from almost last at the 500 to almost first, if not first, at least in qualifying for one of the two double headers, yeah, I'd say William Power for sure. Got to throw Rossi in there, right? You know, he's just going to be man on fire. I'm trying to think, who else do we do we throw in here? And, well, okay. So, I don't remember if I wrote about this in my post-race rewind column. I genuinely don't. Uh, I don't think I did, though. I'm going to twist this just a little bit, Michael, to who needs, needs, who needs to recover big time not only from Indy, a horrible May, but just a year. Uh, Rossi's season, uh, I mean, it, it's not over, but if we're talking championship, yeah, there, there's going to have to be some miracles involved. I mean, he's 147 points behind the championship leader, Alex Pelot. It's a lot. Not saying he can't. This guy could win a championship every year. But, oh, that's a lot to ask. So, is he going to go like mad? Yes. Do I think he's going to do well? Maybe win one of the races? Absolutely. I don't think he's going any... Well, let me rephrase this. Um, Is he going to be an IndyCar full-time next year? Without a doubt. Uh, Might not end up having the year that he wants, but, again, talent-wise, potential-wise, this guy is pure gold. Couple others, again... Graham Rahal, not going anywhere. Willpower, contract, not going anywhere. Um, My French fry, Sebastian Bourdais. Oh, he had a May that wasn't very nice. Heck, he had a May bridging, late April bridging into May from Texas. I mean, just the last four races, his best finish was a 19th, right? Brutal, brutal. Yeah, um... Boy, I sure am hoping his Detroit is more rewarding. Knowing how far behind he is in the standings, it's going to have to be a semi-miraculous close to the year for him to be flirting with the top 10. Not impossible, but where being inside the top 10, if not deep in the top 10, felt like a possibility after St. Pete and staying there, I should say, yeah, uh, just it's making the most out of something that's turned pretty sour. He can do that, though. But, uh, yeah, this is a guy who just needs to have a... If he finishes 10th on both days, I'll be doing a happy dance. Uh, we know he could win both. I mean, talent-wise, he has that ability. But, yeah, Michael, I'd say let's put Bourdais there. 
the guy who I am, this is my June watch. And, oh, so again, uh, maybe I mentioned this last week. If so, I apologize. Maybe I wrote about it. I don't remember. But Felix Rosenquist is one of two drivers, also with Ed Jones. But Felix in particular, I am on June watch with. Uh, He is currently 20th in the standings after six races. He is currently one point ahead of Romain Groschamp, who's done three. That is just an, and yeah, uh, Romain obviously finishing second. The Indy GP really helped from a point standpoint. But Felix, to show, show you and underscore how not good his year has been, he's 20th, one point of a, of a, of a, point ahead of a guy who's done half as many races in a smaller team with way less money and resources. So, uh, I'm not saying that my thought here is correct, but I am telling you that with Pato award, currently a winner this year, holding third and Felix in 20th knowing that he should go well on a street course. He's very experienced on street courses uh, in America, internationally, you name it. This should be a weekend for Felix to get back to the Felix that we know and expect. Best finish this year so far is 12th. I would think he should be right there with Pato all weekend. That is what should happen. If it doesn't, and there's another separation, a noticeable separation in results, practice, qualifying, race, whatever. If you come out of Detroit and you go, man, okay, it's it's the Pato show, and we kind of forgot he has a teammate thing again, it's going to be rough. And where things get really rough in this I'm the month of June thing, Felix going into Road America after Detroit. What happened there last year for him? What happened for Felix with the Ganassi team last year at Road America? We know the answer to that. Of the double header there, he won the closer, the second race. So coming into Road America, Felix is the defending race winner which is awesome and amazing. I really, truly hope for a guy who I think the world of, as a driver, as a person, love the guy. He's so funny and so awesome. If Felix doesn't have a great Detroit, shows up to the race where he is the defending winner, and there is another performance separation between himself and Pato, I just wonder if that puts the final nail in uh, Ed Jones. I'm the, just, this is my own thoughts. I've heard nothing from the team. Haven't asked, just sharing. Indy, as I wrote about before we got to uh, the 500, I really thought was going to be the kind of make or break for Ed. Um, strategery didn't work. Had to pit with a couple laps to go. Plummeted down to 28th. He's currently 23rd in points behind Tony Kanon, 
who's done three races, and Romain, who's done Romain, who's done three. Ed's twenty third in the championship. Ahead of him, if we take Elio, who jumped up to fourteenth because of his win, Ed Carpenter, who's done the three ovals, Romain and Tony. Ed, who's done the full season, all six races, is behind four part-time drivers who've done half as many, if not less. Again, it's not picking on Ed. It's just you stare at that and go, if you know nothing, if you haven't followed IndyCar at all, you just woke up and realized, oh, hey, I missed the first six races. Let me go look at the standings. The standings would tell you everything you need to know. You might not know the the backstory, but you could certainly say 23rd in standings, best finishes 12th, uh, three finishes of 20th or worse. Clearly, Ed Jones is having a terrible year. Um, So just doing the obvious and spotting that here, Indy was really the one place where he could change his season and it didn't happen and again i'm not pointing any fingers at ed for the strategery going sideways just it doesn't matter who what where and why if a team is saying okay where are we now in the standings and where do we got to be and can we get to a place that's better or are we gonna have to start thinking about other options um may was really the place for big things to happen for ed to make his life easier like Felix, I hope he has a pretty awesome June. Those two are my June watch guys and really hope we have much happier things to talk about, Michael, once we get through Detroit and then Road America. Uh, let's go to, oh man, we got the first time questioners stacked up. We're going to go to Andy Breck, uh, Abram from Twitter. New listener, first question. What are your feelings about Elio winning a fifth Indy 500? Says it's kind of cool. There's a four-time club, kind of like there's a seven-time NASCAR Cup champion club. Part of me wants the four-time club to remain, and another part of me thinks it'd be cool to see a (sighs) five-timer. I don't know if we're going to see Elio as a five-timer. I'd love to see it. What I can say is this, I'm with you with the four-timer club, knowing that there's now four members. Numerically, it fits. If Elio were to win a fifth time, and I don't know why my voice just broke there, I apologize, still going through puberty. Um, If he were to win a fifth, would that make him the all-time great? Again, you know, folks can weigh in with their thoughts. But I love most of all here, that we have this quest that is live and active. I'm old enough to remember when it was still going the last time with AJ Foyt and Rick Mears and Alan Sir Sr. Uh, with who might get to five. Rick retired a little bit young, but he'd done enough, had enough. AJ, admittedly, been a long time since he'd won his fourth, and you know he and his team were past their prime at that moment. 
So I would say there was not much of a realistic chance of AJ getting a fifth. Um, he then retired soon after in the early 90s. Rick bowing out um, not long after as well, not long after getting his fourth, you know, brought that to a close. And uh, Al Sr., definitely up in age by that point, and there really were no front-line opportunities being presented to him for Indy. So there was a time, and yay, I do remember when there was still the, hey, could so-and-so become a fifth? Um, I just don't know how realistic that was. Now the gift we've been given, we can go into next year's month of May, and Elio will be there, no doubt about it. We can go into next year's Indy 500 talking about it, dreaming about it. It can be a real thing that is realistic. It's not a hope, not a fantasy, not anything. So, yeah, I love that more than any other aspect. And I would think other than, you know, do I think Jimmy Johnson is going to be in the 500 next year? Yes. Uh, Willing to put money on that. But whether he is or isn't, we'll find out. But anyways, I think he's going to be there. That's obviously going to be a big thing, right? NASCAR guy, seven-timer, do, finally doing the oval uh, that stands out, the, the biggest, most important oval in the world. That's going to be a huge thing. Would I expect Elio and Jimmy to be sitting next to one another in a lot of press conferences talking about Jimmy going for his first while Elio's going for his fifth? Yes, I would. So I don't know how many more 500s Elio has, right? Uh, Two, three, hopefully, at least. He's certainly not going to slow down, but I'm just saying, you know, you don't know how long you're going to keep getting invited to the dance. We know he's going to be back next year. And I think the Shank team realizes, yeah, uh, we we might just want to lock him up for the 500 for a couple years at minimum. But this is the thing I'm looking forward to. And how amazing is it that we get to follow? Some of you I know love Elio, some don't. But for those who just care about the sport and want to see it, have things that folks outside of racing are following and hear about, oh, yeah, Elio, uh, that that guy, oh, he's going to try and break the all-time record. That's a thing that I hope, again, get more folks to look in and care about this thing and have it grow. So um, not sure if the odds are up yet or where to bet, but uh, I'll put a couple dollars on that five-timer for him. That'd be pretty amazing. be also interesting to see uh, what AJ, I don't maybe they've been asked, maybe I've missed it, but what the uh, other four-timers think about if Elio were to beat them. Um, I think Al Sr. probably be okay with it. Rick probably wouldn't care. AJ, um, just watch for flying objects. It might be laptops, hammers, I don't know, but there might be things getting thrown over uh, over the wall on pit lane, try and slow down Elio a little bit. Um, I don't think Mr. Foyt would ever want to see someone above him uh, in the old record book. So thanks for the question. I'm going to move on to... Uh, PRB 103. How do you know where this has come in? You know it's from Reddit because it's a quote name? I don't know. I never know the story behind the Reddit names, but I love them because they're wacky. But I shouldn't say that because the one below, which is a first-timer, I know exactly what it is. Just don't know who it is. 
Uh, PRB 103 says, hey, Marshall, first time asking a question. Hope all is well. Says it seems odd that the Rick Ware Dale Coin Racing team would have Cody Ware practice once more in an IndyCar, this time at Road America, unless it was almost a given he has plans to run in a race. Is there any word if Ware is looking down the road at a half season or one-offs in IndyCar or even looking to transition away from NASCAR? Says I know he is a constant source of controversy most weeks in NASCAR, but I assume most drivers and teams are largely indifferent to him potentially racing here. Uh, well, when I spoke with Cody, when he called me months ago, when I had said whatever I'd said, you know, we had no news, no plans, no anything from them, but had been hearing things about him doing ovals and whatnot. He rang and said, Detroit is the place where he was planning to uh, make his debut. I would think that plan would still be in place. I believe the official entry list for the Detroit Grand Prix will be out on Tuesday. I know I looked for it today and didn't see it. So my guess is he was indeed preparing to do Detroit unless that's been shifted somehow and he's going to do uh, Elkhart Lake. I have no clue. I haven't asked. I, if I was better at my job, I probably would have thought too, but I'm not always. So one way or the other, I know that Cody does indeed have desires and intentions uh, to compete in IndyCar. I do not know what his mindset is, whether it is I'm going to do a lot of this and dial back on NASCAR or what. Um, but I would also wonder just what, is most important for the family business. And if the money being earned competing in NASCAR outweighs um, IndyCar, again, I just have to look at the bigger picture to think where his primary attention would be focused. But if he can squeeze in some IndyCar stuff between NASCAR obligations, uh, I'm all for it. I don't have much to offer about him. I tried to watch the start of the NASCAR was a nationwide race yesterday. I think, I think, I don't remember what happened, but I think he either got hit or something. All I remember is I believe his car was pointed in a direction that was opposite of where the track was going. And I don't remember what I did from there. Probably switched over to a basketball game, but if he can come and participate and run the required speeds and be a good citizen on track, that story would be no different than hundreds of IndyCar drivers who haven't been full-timers who've popped in and done whatever number of races in the past. And I wish the guy well. So truly, um, who wouldn't dream of doing an IndyCar race? Like, (laughs) I mean, that's that. I, I just always take it back to that. Like, okay, man, if I could, I would. Uh, I'd probably really muck things up though, but I'd try. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. And I crash leaving pit lane. That would be the Marshall Pruitt story. Uh, Swift DB one from Reddit as well. Uh, a screen name referring to one of my all time favorite race cars. Got the chance to work on a number of Swift DB one formula Fords and one of the most beautiful race cars ever made as well. 
Uh, Swift DB1 says, hey, Marshall, first time questioner. Says, I'd like to start by saying I've followed your wife's saga since that first terrible announcement, and I'm thrilled and awed at the strength and fortitude of you both. Well, that's sweet of you to say. She's the one doing the hard stuff. Um, now the question, is there a legitimate reason? Not illegitimate, but a legitimate reason for IndyCars to have carbon brakes. Uh, wouldn't the racing be much better and cheaper if they went back to steel? Longer braking and passing zones is always good. And if they can work, eh, it's around a 60-pound windscreen penalty. Um, I imagine, I'm sorry, I'm misreading that. Uh, I'm not even going to cut this out. It's my unpolished turd of a show. Uh, longer braking and passing zones is always good. And if they can work around a 60-pound windscreen, I imagine they could deal with the unsprung weight penalty somehow of steel brakes. Yeah, I hear you we have this little thing that isn't so little in IndyCar, and that is a hefty car. Um, yeah, it's, it's porky. It's heavy. It's yeah. So I hear you. The longer braking zones and passing zones. True. No argument there. Just keep in mind that, with the amount of downforce these cars carry, whether it's carbon brakes, steel brakes, wood brakes, the braking acts are going to happen at about the same time. It might be over a longer duration, but just because there's a longer duration of braking doesn't mean that one car can more readily get by the other. Everyone's by and large, are going to be breaking at about the same point. So it's incumbent upon the driver with a better exit off the previous corner or push to pass or different aerodynamic setup, possibly different mechanical setup to have extra speed to go by in the braking zone. Whether that braking zone is short or long, that differential is the thing that makes passing happen, not the braking material. So you could certainly lengthen the braking zones. You could certainly add that weight, and they would be decidedly cheaper. To get the performance desired out of these vehicles would just say that, or this specific chassis, I should say, I don't mind the lack of weight, lack of rotating mass, uh, it does play a part and help in the overall performance of the vehicle. So if the car had come in lighter, it's been a lot of things added over the years. Um, the anti-intrusion paneling, the sides and whatnot. I mean, there's just been a lot of things done to try and beef up and add safety that just come at weight penalties. So along with the aforementioned 58, 60-pound arrow screen yeah it's just one of those things where you go hey we already got them uh it was standard from the outset uh we've got a better kit now and with a different vendor we already got them um eh, we'll just keep going with what we have thanks for sending this in swift db1 i am uh, jealous of your screen name duncan idaho 11 while we have additional screen names with numbers in them Hey, MP, 
Could a new front wing be cobbled together using leftover LED panels? <laughs> also, could the next IndyCar do with some LED lighting around the bodywork, contour accentuating strips that light up or change color with push to pass or energy deployment would be sweet. Hashtag me personally. Uh, could? Yes. I readily support aerodynamic devices being constructed from LED panels. Uh, that would be the best, but only if they're from a pile of old failed LED panels that came off the cars from years ago. No new LED panels, just the old busted ones. Uh, that's what we got to do there. Um, yeah, no, this is a little bit fast and furious thinking or speaking or something ing, but yeah. Hey, with the new car, um, why not add some lighting accentuations or other stuff? Now, you know, under 90 degree Toronto sun, is that going to be something that folks are really seeing popping and catching their attention? Eh, maybe not so much, but any of the night racing for sure. Um, I just like the idea of trying to think and build and whatnot using a stronger entertainment mindset, not low hanging fruit appeal to the lowest common denominator, but the more young people, and I'm probably thinking more truly kids um, compared to young adults, but you know, the, the more, wow, look at that. That is cool and different than what I see with race cars, the better. Um, I haven't even thought of all the different ways that this could happen. And I'm not just thinking lighting strips, but you know, what kind of full true OLED type panels could be put on the car? What kind of, you know, again, I don't know what kind of, of true moving graphics could be on the car. I don't know, but Hey, wouldn't it be cool to think about that and see if there's something that could be incorporated? Is this an area where you could truly break new ground with sponsor presentation? So it's not a dead sticker, something that is applied and it's all you get. Is there something digital, electronic, whatever, uh, that could move, that could be interactive that I don't know, but Hey, uh, I love the idea Duncan Idaho 11. So if it happens, you need to take full credit for it. Uh, Nathan, also known as at Indy Nathan, says after doing one race, Elio is 14th in points. So I believe I read only full-time teams are eligible for leader circle money. True. Uh, but are there any restrictions on the championship or prize money for overall standings if a team doesn't run a full schedule? So think from now and forever forward, Nathan, when you say full-time, you say leader circle. They are one and the same. The only entrants uh, or entries that are eligible for leader circle money are those who commit to doing the full season. So that's actually contingent upon receiving a leader circle contract. You are signing a document that gives money in payments in exchange for committing to turning up at every race. So it's IndyCar's way of saying, hey, full-timers, uh, we don't want 12 cars in one race and 19 at the other and 13 at the next. 
uh, we're going to give you basically the lion's share of prize money divided equally across whatever number of uh, full-time entrants that we have, uh, the, the top 22 at least. We're going to give you the vast majority of the prize money up front, uh, paid out in payments throughout the year in exchange for you saying, yep, I'm going to be there everywhere. So we can count on you. We can promote you. We can do all kinds of things. So that's that. Just a little sidebar there. If you looked at the Indy 500 prize money, it was a really great um, breakdown of who is and who isn't in terms of leader circle. So if you look at some of the one-offs, you would see that even for those driving for a team that has multiple leader circle contracts for those full-time entries, you'd notice that their base money is about $100,000 less. So I think it was $100,305 or something like that. Um, And for those uh, who were on the leader's circle thing, I think the base was $200,305, something like that. So anyways, uh, there's nothing stopping part-timers from coming in, competing Nathan, maybe even doing well from a championship standpoint. But the payouts terms of prize money for each race it's like whatever to win detroit won this weekend i think is what 30 grand or something like that and second is 20 again i'm i'm loosely remembering here don't hold me to those numbers but look 30 grand is not a small amount of money right you give 30 grand to the average person and their life gets significantly better but if we're just talking racing prize money it's not a whole lot. But again, uh, the vast majority of prize money is distributed equally to the top 22, uh, those 22 leader circle contracts throughout the season. So they get it. Um, but for those who aren't in the leader circle, yeah, uh, there's not a lot of money to pick up other than at the Indy 500. That's the one place where winning as a non-full-timer can be a pretty darn amazing thing. But even then, uh, it's definitely not as much as what a leader circle uh, Indy 500 winner would take home. So, yeah, there you go. Hopefully I answered that. If not, I suck. Uh, let's see, where are we here? On time, we're doing okay. Holy poop. I think we're going to come in. Should I do it? I shouldn't do it because I'm always wrong, but I try and get the show done in an hour and a half or less. I feel like that's possible. So ride with me, y'all, as I take a sip of coffee at uh, 8.29 p.m. on a Monday. What am I doing? Just a sip, though. Uh, Let's see. Connor Clinkenbeard. You rock, Connor. MP, two-parter here. One, what replaces Toronto on the schedule? Funny you should ask. I don't know. I uh, called somebody at IndyCar today, uh, hoping they would call me back so I could pose that same question, knowing they wouldn't answer it, but I'd at least be able to ask enough questions around the non-answer to kind of get where I thought we might be going. Haven't heard back. Uh, you say, I think many assume at Ohio, but hashtag me personally, I would rather see a double at Gateway, given the lack of oval races this year. Also because, well, Gateway's awesome. Uh, no argument on that. Uh, he says, second, any truth to the rumor of Romain Groshaw running Gateway? So the thing that I responded to, and I don't remember if it was here first or on the tweeters first or whatever, 
week or two ago, whatever, on this topic. Hey, what replaces Toronto? Knowing that Green Savory Race Promotions puts on St. Petersburg, Mid-Ohio, Toronto, and Portland, and knowing that they were hammered last year with events that didn't take place and income that didn't come in, I would think first dibs, first priority, first everything, Connor, to take care of great partners at GSRP who are responsible for 25-ish percent of the annual IndyCar calendar, I would think that a GSRP event in Toronto coming off the schedule would pretty much lead IndyCar to say, how do we make it up for you at another event that you put on? So while I love the idea of expanding to two at Gateway just to get another oval race, I would say if I worked for IndyCar and I was the person who said yes or no on where we go, assuming the track owner, promoter, whatever, agreed, I would be working with our friends at Green Savory Race Promotions to say, do we do a double at Mid-Ohio or do we double up at Portland? Those are the two left that you have. We're not doing another St. Pete this year. Already been done, but that would be where I would expect things to go. If it's going to be mid-Ohio, knowing that that race weekend is now, what, less than a month away, I mean, you'd kind of have to be moving pretty far down the road to make that happen there. Uh, Just little uninformed thought, but we're in the midst of states, larger counties, you name it, throughout the country, opening back up fully or getting close to full i know ohio has been fairly restriction laden just wondering out loud if the timing of the opening back up in mid-ohio being here less than a month from now might lead gsrp and indycar to say yeah maybe uh maybe we think about portland uh since we're talking end of the season uh, what, September, I think timing-wise, just might give them a little bit more opportunity to get, get everything lined up, full fans, full everything. Uh, just a thought. Not saying it's accurate at all, Connor, but I think the reopening part, who knows? Maybe that'll factor in to something. Uh, I'd have to reach out to the coin team to inquire about Roma or running Gateway, but yeah, do I think think it's the only oval left on the calendar and he's curious about it and speaking with teammates uh or with let's just say ed jones and good friend sebastian bourdais and probably also simon pagino i think they would all tell him that if we're talking about an oval introduction that's the perfect place uh long straights two corners i mean i realize there's four total corners but two corners two sweeping corners that could probably be treated a lot like a road course i think this would be the perfect place for roma to get his first oval experience in find out if he likes it find out if it clicks and then use that to inform his decision for what he wants to do next year 
I assume and hope, based on just what I've heard from him and read and whatnot, that he's really enjoying himself, and it sounds like he wants to stay and keep playing. The only thing left for him to discern is whether ovals would be part of that, and there's one left, so that's kind of an easy, like, hey, if you're going to do it, gee, I wonder where. But also, I think layout-wise, it's perfect for him. Uh, the the speeds in the corners, one and two, maybe more than three and four, but you can feel your way through them compared to go blasting in at a trillion miles an hour, hope everything sticks, uh, a lot of banking, a lot of everything else does it for you, and you know, you're know you a passenger in the car uh, a lot of the time. I don't think of Gateway in that manner, and so since it is a driver's oval um compared to some that are more vehicle ovals and and you're just the person steering while the car does all the work i think it would fit him wonderfully if he doesn't love gateway uh, i don't think he's going to do any ovals afterwards because if you come away from there not smiling realize your car could be bad and you might not have a great day but the experience overall if he's going to be happy there uh, anywhere that's where it's going to be uh let's see is this another new question here uh or maybe not miasm m-i-a-s-m-3 from of course reddit miasm3 hey marshall what are you hearing on the tv rights negotiations after the fairly bleak uh sports business journal story a month ago public comments the last couple weeks from Roger Penske and Mark Miles seem much more focused on getting a new deal with NBC. Is that just public posturing? Uh, Which other networks have shown genuine interest in unseating IndyCar? Hashtag me personally. It'd be a shame if NBC was out after just three years airing the 500. They've made it seem like a big event in a way ABC hadn't for many years before their exit. Closes by saying best to your wife, Shabrell, Rocky, and Rosie. Well, I just woke up these two monkeys. Hey, they're uh, wishing you well, so bite me less, right? Stop biting me, Rose. That's all I'm asking. Um, comments that I offered a couple days after that article and taking nothing away from that article because they tend to be pretty darn sharp about what they hear, what they think, etc. right? They're not practitioners in, in nonsense. I just wondered if that was one side of the story also wondered if there was a little bit of posturing there, possibly. A little bit of uh, signaling to NBC that, hey, you aren't our one and only. We do have options. Uh, in the calls that I had, and I'm just, I think, rehashing something I shared on the show shortly after this, uh, whatever story a month ago when folks were asked, asking about it, I've only heard ongoing continuations of what I said back then. Uh, There's a really good thing going on between NBC and IndyCar. NBC has an interest in keeping IndyCar. IndyCar has an interest in staying with NBC. IndyCar wants more money. I think if more money can be found, uh, job done. (laughs) Done deal. Sign it. Let's move on. I don't know what that number is, but I know that that's the one thing that IndyCar really wants. So it's just a question of, is it a realistic number they're looking for? 
if they're getting 10 of something from NBC and they want that to increase to 20, I'd say that's a ridiculous ask because while IndyCar has been bringing some good numbers for TV, it's not turning the world upside down. It's not a revolution. Um, Watched a documentary yesterday about the fashion designer Halston with my wife. I walked, uh, walked in, I think about 10 minutes into it. And, uh, one of the interesting things in that, which makes me think of this topic is Halston had grown, become big and huge and whatever signed, whatever licensing deal to a company effectively signed over control of his name. Overall, though, there were bosses in charge of the business. He was no longer in charge of it himself. Bit of a little corporate takeover. Someone bought the company that had owned his company and let him have free reign forever. And all of a sudden, the new bosses came in and put the clamps on everything. And the fun stopped. And lots of problems emerged as a result of this. But the big boss from that time in the 80s or whatever, who they interviewed in the documentary, was just describing their his approach to how the Halston fashion line and how Halston himself was treated. He basically said, think of this as us buying the New York Yankees and also getting the like D league, you know, Poughkeepsie such and such farm team. Well, where am I going to focus most of our energies and which one of those two clubs am I going to put up with uh, garbage the most? And it's just a very polite way of saying, hey, we got you. You're part of the portfolio. You're just not contributing much compared to some of these much bigger brands that we got as well. I'm not saying NBC is looking at IndyCar in that capacity, but I am saying if you look at the overall annual eyeballs and ratings that IndyCar brings to NBC slash NBC Sports... It's not a lot. So where Halston got himself kicked out from his own company for all kinds of rabble-rousing and whatnot uh, that he disliked from what the new owners were passing down, I am by no means saying Penske Entertainment is doing that with NBC, but I am saying that if you're getting 10 of something and all of a sudden you want that doubled, you got to have numbers to support that. And... I don't know if that's what's being asked. I don't know if they're asking for 12 of something or 13 where you go, okay, it's a, yeah, it's a, maybe a little more than we'd want, but let's see what we can figure out. Um, I hope it's in that range because I just don't think IndyCar has big negotiating power based on the ratings. Turn that around to kind of close on the, the earlier part of the question of, is there something else? Is there another network showing genuine interest? Again, we read about, saw the thing about CBS. Cool. Great. Do they really have the everything to put behind IndyCar like NBC does? I'd say that's the bigger question. If NBC, if you got 10 of something 
<laughs> I really love that I'm not even using money. We'll just say 10 of something. IndyCar is getting 10 of something from NBC for the broadcast rights. And they're willing to bump it up to 11 and a half, maybe 12 of something with a new contract. And someone like a CBS says, well, we'll give you 13, 13 and a half. Do you really leave NBC? All the talent, all the experience, all the quality. It's a, just a turnkey. Let's go kick ass together in terms of broadcast production. Do you turn your back on all that to go with a brand new partner, not really a motor racing company uh, back in the day? Sure. But again, and no, I'm not talking about pre-packaged things that you find on CBS Sports Network. I'm talking we're sending out trucks. We're sending out everybody. We're going big deal on motor racing. It's been a long time since CBS did that. Um, I'm just saying, uh, what's more important here? Quality of the product and growing and being with a really energetic partner who keeps giving you more network time than probably anyone else would? Or do you go with one that might have interest and who knows, might even be willing to pay you a little, some more, but boy, you don't know what you're getting in terms of quality. Um, I'm just saying sure seems to me like this is a slam dunk to say, okay, whatever that number is, let's make it a little healthier for us, but let's get this done, have stability in place and then just start building for the future. Uh, where are we going next? Thanks again to all of you for sending in all of the first timers and our veterans and medium timers as well for sending in your questions. Uh, we are going to Nick Papandria or is it Papandria? I don't know. I hope I got one of those right, Nick, which means I got one of them wrong. Um, and I also don't know if I've had a question from you before, Nick. So if you have and I'm forgetting, well, I suck. And if you haven't, hey, another. I love it. Uh, it says, first and foremost, continued prayers for your lovely wife and to you and the kitties. You hear that, guys? I think people are bigger fans of you two monkeys than me. All right. There you go. Uh, it says, second, thanks for the kind words on mental health. It says, my wife is going through a really tough time mentally as well. Uh, it says, I want you to know when I listen to your podcast, it helps me escape uh, to a world where the only hardship is poor finishing positions. That's really sweet, Nick. Um, give your wife our love, by the way, please. Seriously. Um, she doesn't know the thousands upon thousands of crazies who uh, participate in this show by listening and uh, the smaller number who send in questions, but please give her our love. If there's anything I try and do here that is unique to us it's letting folks know that you got a family here you got love it's really dysfunctional i'm the ringleader of that but yeah um let her know she's got some folks here uh lots of love and that offer stands as well uh prude they are are certainly capable of of bringing fun and mirth and you name it so don't be afraid to uh, reach out nick love to uh get you connected with some of those crazies and uh, have some fun. This is my question today is about contracts. We see a number attached in other sports and other forms of racing, but in IndyCar, it's very hush hush. I've always been curious about what an IndyCar driver makes and how the contracts are handled. 
not looking for an exact number, but does it have to do with race purse or sponsorship dollars? Awesome question, Nick. And we're going to get into this one a little bit deeper than maybe some of the others, then uh, rattle through the rest and say farewell. Uh, this is very much my, uh, my favorite, how long is a piece of string type question, Nick, meaning there's no one answer. It's certainly individual. Uh, there's a, probably a lot of similarities, though, right? Reason, first of all, the question of, hey, why do we hear that the new wide receiver for whatever football team, the basketball player, the baseball, whatever, why do we hear about the amount of their contracts and the duration, and we don't really hear that in IndyCar, uh, or uh, f- motor racing in general? I guess it comes back to ownership, you think of the major sports leagues, the stick and ball types, uh, the majority of those, if not all of those, have a central business where these are franchises, these are however you want to put it, but there's a central sporting business slash institution where all of the different teams emanate from. So it's more of big business, big enterprise, and tend to be some sort of official contract department, reviews them, make sure that they comply with whatever rules, and so on and so forth. So it's there's that. So often when you read about who's going where, for what amount, for how long, uh, either disclosed from a, a private source at whatever league or from a team to a reporter who might ask, uh, or an agent... It's also another part that uh, happens quite often in stick and ball sports, right? You want to show that your client uh, has value and is being rewarded for that. You want to show that you can get money for your client, hoping that you'll attract other clients. A little bit different here, since these are all independently owned companies. And believe it or not, I'll share a lot of that stuff. So, that's, I think, the, the overall reason for the dynamic of why we get the mystery part. So back to your question of what does an IndyCar driver make? How's that money determined? What's it, what does it rely on? Hard to say who's getting what. Um, let me just pull up the list of drivers here, and let's see. Uh, I'll just rattle off some names where I don't know what they're getting paid, but they are getting paid. Um, now, granted, now that's where I need to draw another uh, distinction here. Even those who bring sponsorship to teams, even if the, there are some who bring 100% of that, uh, it's always going to be geared where they get a cut. Now, whether that's a cut out of a salary, like, hey, I'm bringing it all to you, and in my contract you give me back X, or whether they sign the deal with company with the company and they bring the team, you know, the vast majority of it and keep the rest. In some situations, it's family money. Um, and then that's maybe even more interesting. Uh, hey, if I'm bringing mom's money or dad's money or whatever, the family business's money, do I get a cut of that? Or do I get a salary as an employee of that business? Do I get any money? I don't know. Am I spending my inheritance? Again, those tend to be a little more different than others. If you're a driver, though, I would say, 
who is capable, Nick, of bringing five to six million dollars to a team from family money and or family business money. When I say family money, I mean maybe they come from wealth and are spending it, bit of a sportsman, sportswoman, or more from the mom or dad's very successful in business and uh, it's the family business and we take profits from that for me to go play and, you know, it's mark, air quote marketing money, whatever. Um, it's all very interesting and fascinating stuff to me. But if I look down the list, uh, I would assume Alex Pillow is getting paid. <laughs> he is. Uh, Scott Dixon, Pato Ward, Simon Pagino, Renus VK, Joseph Newgarden, Colton Herta, Graham Rahal, Scott McLaughlin, Marcus Erickson, Takuma Sato, Will Power, Jack Harvey, Elio, Rossi, Carpenter, Hunter Ray, Bourdais, Daly, Rosenquist, Groschon, Canon, Jones, uh, Hinchcliffe, Kellett. They're all getting paid. Now, in some instances, like I said, some are bringing family money, family business. Others are bringing sponsors. And so how they divvy up that money, yeah, it, it's their deal, but no one's bringing a sponsor or family money to a team without taking home something. So there's that. Bigger thing, though, is, okay, so for the teams who are actually paying someone, right, not making a seat available because you bring money, but actual we are spending money from our own pockets or a sponsor's pocket to have you, that's where things get a little bit interesting, Nick. Handful, I would say, making six figures a year. I'd be lying if I said I knew every single one. Would it be strange to think that Scott Dixon uh, is anything other than probably the leader in that regard in the paddock? I doubt it. Uh, I mean, I'm sure he's the number one guy and has been the number one guy for many years. Uh, I don't know what Roger pays his drivers, but I have to believe, you know, they're probably in the seven figure club. I don't know about McLaughlin as a rookie. Can't tell you, but um, I assume Graham Rahal makes a good living. He certainly is instrumental in bringing businesses to that, uh, to that team. Uh, I don't know what the number is exactly. Again, uh, I'd be lying if I told you otherwise, but the number that I hear that is not, abnormal as a low to average for the paid driver is between 500 and 750,000 a year. Um, it's often some form of per race amount and then a multiplier times the amount of races. That would make things a little bit interesting, right? Nick, (laughs) if, you signed up to do what was last year's schedule supposed to be 17 and it ended up being what 14 because of covid and if i'm wrong on the numbers i apologize but you know if you schedule or i'm sorry you set up a contract and the schedule is um shortened and you had maybe gone into the year planning to name whatever thing going to buy a new house, going to remodel, going to send the kids to super quadruple uh, private school, and it's going to cost all kinds of money, blah, 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 blah. Um, could mess with your world a little bit. You had a loan that was out, and the loan is due. Again, I, who knows? Come up with all the scenarios where you go, yeah, if you were meant to get paid X amount per race times 17 races and all of a sudden three races were taken away, and who knows, maybe not just that, 
but also, as we heard a lot of, a lot of sponsors wanting rebates, um, not wanting to pay the last invoice or two or whatever because of COVID and, you know, whether it was the reduction in overall races or just their businesses were hammered. They didn't have enough funding to do all the payments they wanted. You know, again, there's most people live close to or somewhere around what they're able to from what they take in. It's rare to hear that someone makes $100,000 a year and lives in a way where they only consume 30,000 of it. it. That'd be smart, but just saying, if you're making 100 grand a year, you know, at least for what you you see and think most people price them into a place where they're using the majority of that per year. So it might be a little hard to have sympathy for a driver making a million dollars a year and they have a certain number of races taken off the schedule and all of a sudden they're making less and you go, oh boy, oh, oh poor you. Probably doing the same thing of living not too far from what that number is uh, that they're making. So having an adjustment there, pretty scary for them as well. So certainly uh, there's a handful of drivers making more than a million dollars a year. You probably attach that to uh, the best who are a little bit older. Uh, but other than that, I think you'd find a lot of them are probably, um, probably more in that mid range five to seven fifty. Could be some earning even less than that couple. I'm guessing, but I'd say that's probably pretty close. Uh, yeah. Now I will also mention it's not totally abnormal to learn how much some people are earning. Um, knowing that the culture in IndyCar is not necessarily about putting that information out leads folks like myself to hold on to it. So there you go. Uh, Caleb Gerald. So we uh, start to ramp down here. MP, I hope all is well on the home front. Really liked your uh, time spent on your friend and mental health last week. Thanks, man. Says, uh, um, ever since my accident at work, I've dealt with mental issues. Uh, keep dealing, brother. Keep dealing. Says, as to my question for IndyCar, we all know that Tim Sendrick knows his stuff, but how long before the captain gets involved to turn this around? Says, this far into a season and no Penske win in Chip Ganassi Racing is top two in the championship. Has to have RP a little livid. I was speaking on a similar-ish type theme with our man Robin Miller today, and it wasn't on the RP getting involved and turning things around. I don't know if there's a ton to turn around. I do think, though, that the clear you've done six races and haven't won is most certainly, uh, yeah, it's just continuing to be a surprise. But could Joseph Newgarden win both races this weekend? 100%. At least one of them. If Joseph doesn't win this weekend, I'll be very surprised. Now, granted, I'm going to throw a bunch of names at you, so you're going to go, well, idiot, there's only two races, so how are you saying you think 19 people are going to win? But um, Joseph could, should absolutely win at least one. Uh, Pagano could. Um, Power absolutely could. McLaughlin, a little bit of a stretch, right? Don't think he's quite there yet, but it's nothing negative against him. It's just, again, the guy's going to do his seventh and eighth IndyCar races ever at a place he's never driven. They can be there, uh, for sure. Joseph has a pair of seconds this year. 
Uh, Scotty has one second place. Power has one second. Um, and then a lot of not super awesome after that. Uh, Pagano has a pair of thirds, including that third at the Indy 500. They've been there or thereabouts. I think I just really feel like one of these two races is going to be a demonstration of clean normalcy for one of the Team Penske drivers. I think Joseph, because he's the most consistent among the four. I'm really only talking about the three. Again, not really counting Scotty, but he's the most consistent in the stable. Uh, I realize that Simon's ahead of him in the championship, but we've pretty much seen an equal equipment toe-to-toe, wheel-to-wheel. Joseph's got a little something over Simon, but it feels like Simon could make a really good run here. He's Mr. Consistent. Will that be enough? I don't know, but I'm sure he'll have a good weekend. Joseph feels like he's ready for that win. He might explode from frustration if he doesn't. Power, also on explosion alert. That guy needs to uh, to do something special. So, yeah, the, those are two guys that I think for sure could have amazing weekends. And so, I again, Nick Caleb, I wouldn't so much say turnaround. 500, they weren't great. They were off as a team. It happens. Uh, season-wide, haven't been as crisp uh, as we would like. Struggling to remember another event where it felt like uh, they were really threatening for a win. I know that Simon had a great run to close the 500. Um, I know some folks think he was going to be leading if the race was another lap or two longer. I don't necessarily agree with that, but regardless, I'm not hitting the panic button here, Caleb. Uh, I think we come out of Detroit okay, and if not, well, we know what your question slash submission is going to be next week. Ha ha, Pruitt, you dummy. Um, please tell me now. Uh, what they need to panic about and fix. Uh, Ed Joris says, good idea or bad idea? IndyCar is a highlight Saturday race at any F1 event in North America. Uh, that would be any of, say, Miami, Indy, Coda, Montreal, or Mexico City. Not just this year, but any year. Um, Yeah, that's the thing where I don't think it would ever happen, uh, knowing that Formula One doesn't like competition especially from a open wheel series that they don't control. Uh, They certainly would not make any effort to, to give IndyCar highlighted featured time on track. Uh, I can't see how IndyCar would accept any of that. Um, Yeah. It'd be interesting and amusing like uh, a street race. I think that could be fun because IndyCar does street racing fairly well, but I'm not so sure about uh, this idea Good idea, bad idea. We'll go with the latter this time, my friend. Uh, Mitsuki Matsura. Hey, Mitsuki. Hey, MP. Hope everything's going well for you and your family. Thank you. You know what? I'll just mention here because we're just about done. I so look forward to the point in time in the future where it would not occur to any of you, my dear listeners, to even mention such a thing. So truly, and that's not me uh, lacking gratitude it's the opposite i just look forward to a day where no one's even thinking i uh, hope everything's going well for uh, mp and mrs pruitt and just let's get into the questions that would mean 
we have a lot of stuff behind us, well behind us. Uh, says, my question is Alpine. The Alpine F1 team and Borg Warner announced their partnership last week. Do you think there's any possibility for Alpine and Renault to be a third engine manufacturer of IndyCar in the future? I absolutely do not. Uh, they'd have to have a presence here in the U.S. It'd have to be a meaningful pres- uh, presence. Alpine being their boutique brand, uh, certainly unless Alpine slash Renault became a, a big uh, American thing to try and sell. And I think I'm old enough to remember when Alpines lived on these shores back in the day. Renault's for sure. I remember, um, there'd have to be a market for them to market to. And so until that day comes, I'd say there's no chance whatsoever. Uh, Ross Porter MP glad you appeared to have been able to spool down a little bit and get some much deserved rest. Thank you, Ross says to all listening that are struggling I want to express that if you need to talk to someone, I'm always available for a podcast family. Uh, while I really hope it isn't the case, if Simon Pagano is sent out uh, to sports car pasture by Penske, is Alexander Rossi a legitimate option to move into his seat? So as I'd imagine his ties to HPD are an issue, but uh, even given that and recent struggles, I would think you'd have to be on Penske's draft board. First of all, really kind of you to offer Ross to uh, be an ear and be a resource. This is another topic Robin and I discussed today. Hey, is Roger going to hold on to Simon or not? Don't know. Uh, has he given him a new contract and we don't know about it? Don't know. Uh, do we think he's going to move on from Simon and move down to three cars next year? Don't know. Would strike me as odd, though, knowing that uh, with Ganassi having expanded to four, I would think Roger would look and see that, you know, uh, boy, we need to make sure we're not uh, outnumbered uh, from a championship standpoint, odd standpoint, cars and competition standpoint. So maintaining four, I would think, might be more attractive now than it's been. And would Rossi be the guy? You mentioned the HPD angle. Could certainly be an issue there. Um, The thing that Robin and I discussed was if this was a year ago, it feels like this would have been much bigger possibility for Rossi knowing the brutal year that he's had again, rarely any of it, his fault, but a brutal year. Nonetheless, just he and I wondered aloud is a little bit of that luster and shine knocked off again, not because Rossi truly is less capable, but just is the, the crush the I heart you is Roger making heart hands in his mind when he sees Alexander Rossi in the same way he might have a year ago. I don't know. We wondered aloud that, Hmm, wonder if Rossi at whatever he is now, 29, not old by any means, but wonder if there might be a, Hmm, uh, hello, Renus VK, you in the Chevy stable sure seem to be someone who's telling us you are very special. Um, wondering aloud about a Romain Grosjean. Again, not knowing desire, this, that, and the other, but if Romain's able to get some more podiums this year, and who knows, do Gateway and, and show that he can do and deliver for Roger there, just like we've seen 
Scotty McLaughlin do right out of the gate? Huh. Is that someone that Dale Coyne with Rick Ware Racing might struggle to hold on to? You imagine that? Roma going from the shittiest Formula One team at Haas to a quality but small midfield IndyCar team and punching way above uh, their weight when he's in the car to Roger Penske? <laughs> That'd be a pretty amazing thing. Who else? Right? Are there other veterans? Well, young veterans, who knows? I don't know Alex Pelot's deal. I couldn't tell you if it's a one-year, one-year with a option for a second team option. If so, I'd imagine they would have taken that up already. If not, is Alex Pelot someone they're talking to again? I have no idea. But just saying out loud, if they decide to part ways with Pagano, if he, as you mentioned, might be destined for the Porsche sporty car program, prototype program, and RP wanted to keep four, where do you go? Rossi, again, I don't know if he can get out of this contract. There's a lot of I don't knows. But let's just talk as if you could kind of go and get who you wanted. Well, of those who we know you could get, maybe. Like, award, he's signed up for 97 years. He's going nowhere. Uh, I don't know if VK is gettable. But, you know, we know Herta is not. But, again, just out loud, Polo, VK, Jack Harvey. Is he someone for them to consider? I don't know. Don't know. Rossi, who knows if he's available? Maybe him. Not sure. Uh, Romain Groschon, a bit younger. Hey, how about my French fry? You know, I mean, not lacking in seriously capable options out there. So there's that. Uh, where else do we go here to uh, to shut down? Rhonda Rideout. How you doing, Rhonda? This is MP. First, good vibes to you and your wife from Wisconsin. Hoping both of you will make it to Road America in the future. As do I, Rhonda. Thanks for sending this in. Is this the first time? I don't know, but thanks. Now the question. Knowing the frustration that Alexander Rossi is having because he is, again, not in the top five in points, where does he look to change this? Uh, he obviously has the drive, so is this something that could be addressed with a change in engineer? Asks, is Michael Andretti stretched too thin with all the cars in his stable? I can't imagine a change of engineer would do much. Uh, my guy, Jeremy Millis, is about as talented as you come. Um, one of the faults, I would say, that has been part of the Andretti team for a while, maybe a little bit less in recent years, but engineering changes, has that's been the go-to thing. If someone's not having a great year and a half to two years, sometimes just one year, sometimes less than a year, uh, got to change the engineer. Mm, uh, we Here's the thing we know, Rhonda. We know that Rossi could win both races. We know that Rossi could win every single race to close the year. Has the team, other than Colton Herta, looked super crisp at every race? No, they haven't. So that's why I just don't want to single out Rossi and Jeremy as like, oh, okay, this package is no longer working. Um, I think this is just another stick with it. You're going to get their type deal. The amount of, quote, bad luck he has had this year is ridiculous. It is Ryan Hunter Ray-esque. So I haven't been at the races, so I can't tell you about the dynamic between the two. That's pretty easy to spot. Just 
looks and glances and body language as to whether people are connecting or not. But uh, these are two great people who are phenomenal at their jobs. So I just really do hope that there's uh, nothing negative there, nothing that needs to be changed. I think this is a stay the course, Rhonda. Uh, Diane Chenault. Diane, again, is this the first time? I don't know. But thank you. Says, I hope all is well for you and your wife. Do you think Honda or Chevy will dominate at Belle Isle? Says, wishing you the best. Boy, I wish I had the answer to this. Diane, I'd be betting like mad right now. If we look back to the very limited sample size we have from this year with a single street race, uh, we do know that Colton Herta ran away and hid. Uh, We also know that Joseph Newgarden was pretty darn good finishing second. Uh, Simon Paginot, pretty darn good in third. Uh, Herta was on something a little bit different uh, at St. Pete. Just not an outlier. I mean, it was real and honest, but just they were so good that it was one of those everyone else is playing for second immediately type days can't ignore though to your question how good the uh two of the penske drivers were there um even you know it was a not a bad mix between both brands where i would say detroit is a unique one that scrubs a little bit of the manufacturer out not a lot i mean really truly not a lot but it's a mechanical place. It's a lot of movement of the chassis. It's a place where damping is going to separate the haves and have-nots. So just about everybody's really good at damping. Penske tends to be very good at damping. Engine-wise, we hear and continue to hear that the Hondas have that grunt, that low-end acceleration off uh, the corner slower to medium corners, so there are plenty of those at Detroit. Uh, there's also some decent speed corners as well that would seem to play into Chevy's hand, knowing that they're known for having a little bit more top speed. But would a if both of those things are still accurate this weekend, and Honda's a little bit better in the bottom end, Chevy's a little bit mid to top preferred circuit layout type that should play to the hondas but if there is a chevy team like a penske that has really aced their damping game or an ed carpenter racing uh or similar there's no reason why they can't win both so that's i mean granted at saint pete you get well you get your damping wrong at any track and you're going to suffer but again detroit's one of those places where boy if you're gonna be good and really exercise something special, that's where you need to do it. So that's why I'm a little less thinking about engine manufacture. It's more about damper engineers. Uh, Detroit's always the weekend of the damper engineer. And whomever comes out on top, whichever team, uh, you tend to think, wow, somebody in there deserves a donut or coffee or ice cream or something because they really did their team a big favor harrison riley says marshall exclamation point reposting my question from last week hope to see at laguna this year uh my northern californian brother uh what the heck is going on with the freedom 100 indie lights race feels like the news got buried but roger penske was quoted saying the freedom 100 is unlikely to return what's going on there roger cited safety concerns but isn't the whole point of indie lights and the road indie to prepare drivers for indycar 
why wouldn't you want these guys on the speedway before getting to the major leagues? Is this actually a money thing? Because I know they have a dedicated arrow package for Indy, but I would think the exposure is worth it. The Freedom 100 is easily the Indy Lights race with the most exposure. Would love any insight on what is usually one of my favorite races of the year. Well, you, you hit on it here. I forget. Was it Chris Windham that had the crazy snap the car in half crash at Indy, uh, the Freedom 100 lights race in 2019? Apologize if I'm forgetting who it was. I don't know this as a fact, but I just, I have a suspicion that Roger saw that and was seriously spooked. Um, all I have heard is safety concerns. So what you're saying about him citing that, that's the exact thing I've heard for a while now is for it being canceled. What if, and I'm just spouting the theoretical, what if uh, in the the warm-up race for the Indy 500, we have a big crash and a kid dies or a kid is maimed or a kid is whatever else. What kind of black cloud would that hang over the event? Thinking as a promoter who has the ability to say, yes, you can race here or no, you can't. Looking at the Indy 500 as the big breadwinner of the year. I can understand why Roger has gone in this direction. Not saying I agree, but I understand. Was the biggest for Indy Lights? Was often the best race. I'm not saying the first 99 of those 100 were awesome, but again, usually the last couple race, last couple laps, and certainly the run to the finish line, right? It's the photo finish every year where you go like, they've actually finished negative, right? It's not .001, it's like negative .001. Somehow they're, they've gone back in time, they're so close. That's the amazing thing to watch. It's gone. And as I understand it, it's never coming back. Not as long as RP is making that decision. So, okay, what do we do next, Harrison? Well, what we do next is focus on the greater topic you've mentioned, one that I spoke about with the awesome Linus Lundqvist, who was my guest a couple days ago on the show. Uh, P2 right now in the Indy Lights Championship, new to oval racing. Not really going to get much oval racing this year. How do we fix that? And that is, it is fixable, just means can't really look to Indianapolis Motor Speedway as a place for kids to get their big speedway oval education. Will they get a speedway education again? I don't know. But I do know that there are some shorter tracks for sure that the great Dan Anderson, his daughter Michelle Kish, all the good folks in charge of the road to Indy are looking at and saying, yes, we got to do this. It's the thing that a lot of parents say they don't want and say it's scary and it's what costs the most because when you got a crash there, it you don't crash small. It's always big. But if we're talking about really getting you ready, uh, they need to have a couple each year and just clear that uh, the Freedom 100 uh, is gone. Uh, we're closing with our pal William Matson says if Mario Andretti is the Pope of IndyCar and Rick Mears is the Buddha, where does that leave AJ Foyt and Big Al? Uh, I vote for Holy Roman Emperor and Shogun, respectively. Now, see, there we go. Okay, so Mario, Catholic Pope, I think you're 
lined up fairly well there. Rick Mears as the Buddha. Uh, I'm thinking more. Hmm. Cult leader. That's what we got a number. We've had a number of those here in California. Rick being Californian, Rick being among the chillest ever. I think high desert shaman. That's what Rick Mears is, right? Rick Mears is high desert shaman. AJ Foyt. What is he? I'm just trying to think back. He's kind of Texas Thor. If, if Thor's hammer Mjolnir or whatever it's called had like a big serrated knife sticking out the top of it. Cause I could see AJ hitting things with hammers. I don't know about drawing lightning bolts, but, you know, he'd want to attack something, not a person, but some sort of evil creature, evil doing animal of theirs, hit him with the hammer, but then he's cutting him up. We're getting ribeyes. We're getting all kinds of stuff. So a little bit of the God of thunder minus the thunder, but you feel the thunder with the hammer on your head. And then, yeah, don't bring your battle animals uh, into the picture because they're going to be on the Barbie. Uh, What is Big Al? Big Al. You know, I think Big Al, Alancer Sr., we got a name. This is another mythical character, a very American one. He's Big Al Bundy. That's who he is, right? I love Al. I, I don't pretend to know him well, you know, spoken with him a number of times, whatever. Um, I, he just, he doesn't, he strikes me as someone who, not saying he would be working at a shoe store, but, you know, I, I do get the feeling he's uh, reading issues of Biggins and just wanting a beer and a little bit of hand down the pants on the couch. Uh, Al just strike, has always struck me as just a pretty straightforward, simple guy. The, the man's man, um, basics of life, cover him. He's happy as can be. That just feels like Al Bundy. So we're going to go with big Al Bundy there. Um, so that's our show. Thanks for the rest of you who sent in questions. Apologize that I didn't get to those here. Uh, going to try and stay closer to this, uh, hour and a half or so, uh, episode and going to look forward to what might be a very busy episode next week, knowing that we're coming out of a double header. And other than that, thanks to you, thanks to the Cooper Tires, Cooper Tires, Cooper Tires that make the road to Indy possible, the Justice Brothers that keep us lubricated and happy, and finally, torontomotorsports.com. I am Marshall Pruitt. This is our week in IndyCar, and I'll speak to you very, very soon.